0: Good morning. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 28. It's a little little quiz, it's not a, a rhetorical question. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Does anybody know where that comes from? What's that? Very good. It's, from, it's a stanza that's lesser known to amazing grace. Um, <clears throat> words, 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 fine-sounding Words. The world is full of empty promises. Just listen to your politicians. And even God's own people, your preachers, can seek to control and manipulate the promises of God to their own ends. How can anyone trust what is said to them? The apostle Peter wrote words of blessing he says in second peter 1 verse 2 may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of god and of jesus our lord are these just more empty sounding hollow words do they mean anything Peter thinks so, if you follow the next verses in Second Peter, he says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. He thinks they're more than words. So that through them, through the promise, you might become partakers of the divine nature. That's not an empty word. The promises of blessing, you sang about some of those in Psalm 115 spoken through God's representatives even sinful pastors are not empty they are precious and they are very great and by hearing them and by responding to them in faith you become partakers of the divine nature I don't even know what that looks like but it sounds good In Genesis 28, we are going to see two spoken words of blessing. They're both going to be given to Jacob. The first one is going to be spoken by Jacob's father, Isaac. And if you were here last week, we don't really have a high opinion of Isaac at this point, do we? He was the one that looked like a fool. So it would be easy to question whether Isaac's spoken word is meaningful at all. Now the second word of blessing is spoken by God himself to Jacob in a dream. Now of the two words of blessing, I can guarantee you that it's the second that grabs your attention. And yet, it is my contention that for you here today, Isaac's word is more relevant and more important. In Hebrews chapter 11, we spoke of this last week, but I'll bring it up again. It it, it tells us in verse 20, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Now, Isaac uh, lives a long time. I think, I don't know if I'm getting this right, I'm thinking 180 years. All the actions of his life, and I'm sure there were more than just this one, Isaac, in some way, had to demonstrate faith through his life. The writer of Hebrews picks one event. This is how he expresses his faith. He invokes blessing on his kids. Wow. So, if the writer of Hebrews tells us that Isaac's words are important, we should take note. They are important. We're not going to read the entirety of the chapter at once, we're going to read a little bit and then talk, and you, you, we've done this before in these narratives. So we're going to read verses 1 through 5 to start. If you would, follow along with me in your scriptures. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram, Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty, bless you, and make you fruitful, and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give, and this is very important, may he give the blessing of Abraham to you, and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramaean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. <clears throat> In chapter 27, Isaac thinks he's blessing Esau when he's blessing Jacob. But in chapter 28, Isaac intentionally calls Jacob to himself. What was unintentionally done before is now intentionally done. All I can say is that God brought Isaac around to his way of thinking, eventually. We also see here that Isaac intentionally is giving to Jacob the blessing of Abraham. It's not a new blessing. It is the same blessing that was given to Abraham. He's passing it on. Since we know already from the book of Hebrews that this was an act of faith done by uh, Isaac, we know that he was exercising what was his privilege, And what was his responsibility? Isaac is not functioning here simply as Jacob's father. He is functioning as the one who has been given the promises. And he has authority to then pass them on. That's what's going on here. Later on in Israel's history, and this is very important for you guys to understand this connection, later on in Israel's history, the privilege of passing on the blessing was given to the priests. That's why we have the ironic blessing that we sometimes do at the end of the service here. They would pronounce the blessing of Abraham over the people of God. In the New Testament, this privilege... And responsibility was given both to apostles and then to elders. God wants those in authority in his visible church to themselves pronounce over the people blessing. That's what he wants. And the human pronouncement of blessing is more than just Words. If you understand this, you won't just say, oh, let me slip out of the service early. I don't want to, who cares about the blessing at the end? Pastor's done. I know there's some reasons you've got to slip out. I understand that. But the blessing is not just words that we do to say, that's the end of the service. <laughs> it's not what we're doing. We humanly speak words of divine blessing. I'm not even sure if I understand how to describe that to you, but we trust it by faith, just as Isaac spoke these words in faith. Now, along with the blessing, we see this clearly in this passage, comes responsibility. Isaac doesn't just bless Jacob, he also directs Jacob, right, You must not take a wife from the Canaanites. We talked about that last week, why that's such an important thing at that time. Um, This you must not do. So it's there. God graciously gives the blessing as a gift, but living in covenant relationship with God also means that he is your covenant Lord, and he has the right to direct you in your life. We don't always like that. But we acknowledge that he has the right to do that, and and we submit ourselves to him. In other words, you cannot have God as your Savior without him also being your Lord. We may imperfectly obey him, but we must repent of when we know we've fallen short, when we've sinned, we repent our sins, cast ourselves back upon Christ, and continue to walk in what we call the obedience of faith. Okay, and what we mean by obedience of faith—it's not just a weird way of saying things. It's basically saying that in response to God's promise of blessing, we want to, out of faith in that promise, as an expression of faith in the promise, also be motivated to obey. Okay, it's not—it's not obeying to try to earn the promise. It's out of faith in the promise that we are motivated to also want to submit our lives in obedience to our covenant Lord. Now, this is a very important concept for you to get. If you don't get the obedience of faith, you will turn obedience into works righteousness. I'm going to do A, B, and C in order to somehow earn the blessing. This is not just Mike rambling. It is right in the text. God gives us an example of works, righteousness, in verses 6 through 9. Let's look at that. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father, and his mother. See, saw that. Mm, Obedience. And he went to Paddan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahaloth, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, sister of Nebaioth. What is he doing? Ah, He looks and says, ah, dad, he gave his blessing to Jacob. He told Jacob not to do this. Oh, And, well, Esau might have gone to his dad and said, Dad, I am sorry for my rebellious heart. He might have gone in repentance and brokenness and said, Lord, Dad, forgive me. He might have gone to God with the same sort of thing. I'm sorry for for despising my birthright. No, what does he do? He takes another wife because he thinks that by this one act of righteousness, he thinks he can somehow earn the blessing. Works righteousness. We do it all the time. Oh, I've done some wrong. I'm going to make up for what I've done wrong in order to try to somehow appease God. It's not what the Bible teaches. I believe that if, if, if Esau had truly repented, God would have blessed him but there was no repentance. You know how the Bible says that our best works are filthy rags? You can see this in Esau. Like, do you really think, Esau, this is going to make everything better? Only the perfect works of Jesus Christ are sufficient to atone for our sins. You do not make up for your past wrongs. You confess them, you turn from them, and you cast yourselves on the mercy of God in Christ Jesus. That is the only path to blessing. Now, while Esau is an example of works righteousness, one in which we should shun, Jacob I won't say he's like this perfect example what I will tell you is that Jacob is an object of God's mercy you know what that means that means that God says ha I'm going to start working mercy in this guy's life and I'm going to teach him what is right and that's what God does in Jacob God has blessed Jacob before the foundation of the world It is God's sovereign grace towards Jacob that God is going to produce in Jacob true repentance and true faith. And it'll take some weeks before we get to see uh, kind of the, the pinnacle of Jacob's life where he truly expresses his repentance and faith. But we will see that Jacob is very different than Esau. All right, let's get back into the story. In order to understand the issues that are at stake, we need to feel what a big deal it was for Jacob to leave the promised land. God had told Abraham, leave your land, come to the promised land. He had told Isaac, don't you leave this promised land, you gotta stay here. Now, all of a sudden, Jacob is going to actually purposely leave the promised land. So what is normally a very bad thing, a sign of lack of faith, not a good thing? In this case... Leaving the promised land is the lesser of two evils. Humanly speaking, if Jacob stays, he could probably be killed, or Jacob might kill Esau, which also would not be a good thing. But there's another evil that might happen to Jacob. He might actually fall into the sin of marrying one of the Canaanites as well. Right? We all have hearts of desires. He wants to be married. He might have done this. And so they send him away. Jacob is engaging on a journey of over 500 miles. And this journey is dangerous. Because when you walk out your front door, you don't know where it's going to lead you, right? I left paris ohio at age 17 to go off to college i am sure that my parents had no idea that i would never ever live again in ohio life just happens you move on you get in another place you put down roots and you go okay i may never get back This is a very real possibility with Jacob. He might never come back. And so even though Isaac has pronounced this this blessing on Jacob, the fact that he is leaving the promised land brings in the question, are, are Isaac's words just words? Because the promise that Isaac gives him is that he will live in the promised land but they're just spoken by Isaac. Maybe they're just words. You know, Mike stands up there and he says all kinds of wonderful promises about salvation. Maybe they're just words. Jacob is traveling. He is alone. He's, he's getting ready to leave the promised land. And that's where we find it in verse him in verse 10. Then Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set, taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. Jacob lays down like every other night that he laid down. He, I guess he had to find a new stone every night. I don't know. You don't carry it. It's not like my pillow. Um, he lays down. He's, he's sleeping soundly like every other night. Jacob is not crying out to God. Jacob is not desperate. Jacob's just doing what he's doing and God shows up. There is a repetition of the word behold four times. This is an attention getter. This is so that you guys know a certain aspect of how like shocking and amazing this dream was for Jacob. What an experience this must have been. Now, the text says that he sees a ladder I think it's probably accurate that he sees what is like a stairwell. Uh, You've got, you know, at least the way we think of a ladder is like single, one person, but there's like angels going up and down on it, up and down. If you've ever seen a picture of a ziggurat, uh, there's some of these in the East, Middle East, but there's also like in in, uh, Latin America, there are these like temples, kind of ziggurat temples, where you have the staircase going up and at the top is where heaven and earth meet and you meet with the gods up there. Um, The purpose of ziggurats goes back to our understanding of works righteousness again. The purpose of pagan ziggurats is that you build this temple up, you climb up, and then you can actually experience God. That's not, you know, God is using a picture that was common in their time, but then he's giving it true meaning. God says this this staircase occurs and the angels of God are going up and down on it. God is telling us that there is a connection between heaven and earth. It's what he's telling Jacob. You know, sometimes you feel like you're just here on earth and God's up in heaven. He's distant. He doesn't hear your prayers. They bounce off the ceiling. You know, that kind of thing, right? You're living your life. God's doing his thing. They're not really mixed together. Well, Jacob has this dream, and in the dream, it's basically this. There is a true connection between heaven and earth. And God's servants are doing all kinds of things for God. Up and down, up and down, connected. Connected. Verse 13, he sees the Lord. He sees the Lord. In other words, again, there's this separation that occurred between God and man in the garden that's been in existence throughout all of history, that there's this separation between us. Jacob is seeing, oh, but there is a way to actually meet with God. God. And Yahweh declares himself to be the God of Abraham and Isaac. So there's a generational connection with the the people that God had chosen previously. And God in this dream is explaining to him, I am being faithful to keep my promises of blessing to Abraham and Isaac. Just a few verses ago, Isaac gave the blessing to Jacob. Now we have Yahweh himself giving the blessing. But I want you to see, they are giving the same blessing. If you took the time and compared the two blessings, they are the same. They're not different. Now, I know people say, yeah, the wording's a little bit different here and there. So if you get to Isaac's blessing, he basically says, you're going to inherit the promised land, you're going to enjoy it. Well, when God speaks, he says, I will bring you back to this land. So it's a little bit different wording, but it's basically the same blessing. And he promises, I think there's a stronger emphasis on God being with him. In verse 15, wherever you go. I don't care if you're in the promised land or not. I don't care if you're in Antarctica or if you're in Paris, Ohio or Morganton. It doesn't matter. I am with you. <clears throat> the presence of God. Is God here today? Yes, he is. How do you know that? Do anybody see him? You know it because God promises his presence to you. Now, four beholds. Four beholds in this dream. How many beholds when Isaac spoke the blessing? None. None. If God wanted to give Jacob this incredible dream, this incredible promise of blessing... Why in the world do we even have Isaac given it? Who cares? I get the direct one. And how many of us in reading this chapter, I'm guilty of this, how many of us in reading this chapter, if you just said what happens in chapter 28 of Genesis, you would have said, oh, if you knew it at all, you would have said Jacob's ladder. You wouldn't have said, hey, that's the place where Isaac gives him the blessing. You wouldn't even have said that. Like a, a bump in the road. Why was that even there? My contention is if God, if we, we have Jacob's ladder, the fact that God takes the time in his scripture to actually give us Isaac's blessing for the second time, this time intentionally given to Jacob, that tells us that God cares about what Isaac said. Let's finish the story. Verses 16 and 17. I'll find it here. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Ho! Oh. I'm telling you, Jacob's encounter here is a life-changing experience. But I'm telling you also, Jacob doesn't get it. Jacob is consumed with two words, this place. If Jacob really understood what was going on there, he would understand that the place didn't have anything to do with it. Except that Jacob was there. Is this really the one portal to heaven? That little place in Bethel? Is that the place? You want to go meet with God? Go to Bethel. Yahweh has told him, I will go with you wherever you go. It's not the place. It's the promise. And I would tell you again, I will repeat this to you again, God's word of promise is not better, stronger, more emphatic than what Isaac had already pronounced to Jacob. How do you respond when you hear the promised words of blessing given by a frail human being? Do you only hear them as human words? Or do you hear in them the divine voice? 1 Thessalonians, flip over to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul is talking to the Thessalonians. He says, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. You see, the Thessalonians did not get Jacob's ladder appearing before them, do they? They don't have a vision of a divine staircase. What did did they have? Somehow, mysteriously, in a way that they probably could not even explain, the Holy Spirit had illumined their hearts such that when they heard the words of man, they saw it it as they were the words of God. And I ask you again today, where are you? Do you hear in the human giving of the blessing of Abraham only a human voice? Or do you hear the divine voice? There are few people in history who have had more direct encounters with the awesomeness of God than Peter. I mean, he walked with Jesus for three and a half years, had some pretty amazing experiences himself. One of them... One of them we call the transfiguration. You know what happens in the transfiguration? Jesus in his like, earthly flesh gets transformed. I think even better than his resurrection body, he is transformed into his glorious body that he will have for all eternity. You know, the, Like we see in the book of Revelation when you see Christ and he's just shining and powerful. I think Peter gets a glimpse of that Jesus. he's talking to to people in 2 Peter and he's, he's trying to encourage their faith and he basically says to them, oh yeah, I saw Jesus in all his glory, but we have something even better. We have something even more sure than a vision. Do you know what it is? The words of the prophets. The words that God gave to the prophets to speak the blessing of God. He says, you know, these prophets, they didn't just speak. They spoke as God wanted them to speak. Their word is more certain than even if you saw the transfiguration. And so I would argue to you that as Isaac is speaking his blessing to Jacob, God is speaking through him. Isaac even spoke the word believing that. I think Isaac can only speak it as he has trust that God will actually back up what he's saying and follow through with it. And I tell you, if I stand up here and give the, the, end, the blessing at the end of the service and don't believe it, shame on me. Those are powerful words of blessing. Now, are the words themselves... Do they do all the work? Of course not. It's the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. That's what is truly the one who gains the credit. But here's the responsibility. As a preacher, my responsibility is to declare the promise to you. It's not my responsibility to somehow convince you of it. It is a privilege, it is a responsibility, I'm not supposed to twist it, I'm not supposed to change it. You know, the same blessing that I pronounce is the blessing that was given on Abraham. That's why I love to often give the ironic blessing, because it says that what we have in Christ is the fulfillment of all the promises that were given to Abraham. You too, in a, in a little bit different way, but you too. When you tell to someone outside of the body of Christ that there is a true gospel, good news, and you tell them that if they trust in Jesus Christ, that their sins will be forgiven and all the blessings of God will be theirs, that's what you're doing. You are giving. You're offering that blessing to them. God says we are his ambassadors. He's making his appeal through us. Will some people it just bounce off their heads? Yeah, maybe most. But God has not chosen to just give everybody these direct visions. He says, I'm going to declare the blessing through my people. That's what I'm going to do. He gives you honor. He gives you responsibility. That's what we do as the church of God. Now Jacob saw a stairway Angels going up and down, but then in John: 151, Jesus declares himself to be the stairway. He said to him, "Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Me. The way into the presence of God is opened. How is it opened? The body of Jesus. He is the mediator. It is in Jesus Christ that God comes to us. The Holy Spirit indwells us. All of the the blessings of a physical promised land are ours in the new heavens, new earth. They are all ours in Christ. That's, That's the promise. And Jesus secures the blessings. It is not your perfection. It is not you doing some act of righteousness, it is your faith in Jesus Christ. The only question is whether you will take those words that I have just spoken and say, oh yeah, that's just mic going on, white noise, or if you will hear that they are the words of God to you. Now, in the final verses, 18 through 22, we actually catch a glimpse of what it means when you do hear the word of God in the words of man, and you begin to respond to it. This is how Jacob responds. Verse 18, so early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, set it up for a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of the place Bethel, but the name of the city was Loose at first. Excuse me, I got to keep here. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. This needs a little bit of explaining. The first response on hearing the voice of God is joyfulness. He's happy. Jacob sets up a stone so that he can remember the joy of this moment. The oil symbolizes the joy. Jacob names the place Bethel, meaning house of God. He doesn't quite get that really Christ is the house of God, but that's all right. We need to remember as well, that's why we have communion service. But I think you also need to remember the first time that you actually believed that the word of God to you was not just the words of man. I bet every one of you has this testimony. Every one of you. I talked to Juliet. You know, I was asking her questions before she became a community member. You're saying... Juliet, when did it become more than just something that your parents spoke and believed? That's the the big question. When does it become something that you believe? God has given you the promises, and you are trusting those promises. You see, God does not just keep speaking to us in visions and dreams. He speaks to us through broken, sinful people as they pronounce to you the truth of the promises of blessing in the word of God. Jacob is not only happy He is not only glad, he is not only remembering this time, because it's pretty special. When you have this sense that the promises of God are just not out there for other people, but they are mine, you're like, ah, there's an excitement. Jacob makes a vow. And it's important to see Jacob's vow, not like Esau's vow, but out of his faith and joy that he makes this vow. He's not making a deal with God. Hey, yeah, if you really get me back here, then I'll start loving you. That's not what he's doing here. Similar to you. Yes, it's true. When God gets us all the way to heaven, we are going to praise him and give ourselves completely to him. But even now in this life, you are offering yourself to God and saying, I will give to you the worship you deserve. He talks about a tithe. We're not going to talk about tithing today. If you're interested, we can talk about that some other time. But just this one statement, the tithe in this situation is one expression of of Jacob's willingness to say, I and my entire being belong to you, which is why we say in our services that the giving of your tithes and offerings are an expression of your worship you are offering yourself to God in thankfulness for his promises to you. You're not trying to earn God's blessing by giving your tithes. Neither was Jacob. Jacob then says that this single stone, this is kind of a strange, interesting thing, he says this single stone will become the entire house. I don't even know if he understands fully what he's saying there, but I think Jesus is saying he is the cornerstone and upon him, he is gonna build the entire house. It's not just going to be Jacob's faith. It's not just that Jacob's coming back. He is going to bring all of his people back to his promised land, and they will be one house founded on Jesus Christ. Now, what does this do for you tomorrow? You see, as Jacob is leaving the promised land, as he's walking away, he's full of fear. He's afraid for his life. He's just... He's just going from one danger to another. He's trying to get out of the fire. And that's what his life is about. And I'm telling you, that is what life is about for most people in the world. But once Jacob receives the blessing, once he embraces the word of God, and once he is clear that the the God of the promise goes with him at every moment, his fleeing now becomes a pilgrimage. You're not just wandering through life. You're not just trying to make the next meal. You're not just trying to somehow take care of your needs and wants and get as much out of life as you can. You are on a pilgrimage. God has promised to you to take you to your promised land. He's promised to be with you. And God is doing that very thing. It may not feel like it. I know we all struggle. It doesn't always feel like we're moving towards the promised land. But he is doing it. And you know what we're going to do when we get to heaven? We're going to look around and we're going to say, wow, look at how God got so-and-so there. Look at how he did that. Look at his faithfulness to so-and-so and and got them here. That's what we're going to do. Because you are a testimony, a living testimony that God is faithful to his promise. So brothers and sisters, remember who you are. If you are in Christ, if you are baptized into the name of Christ and you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, God has spoken the most amazing promises to you. You are a trophy of his grace. spoke at the beginning about empty words. It's what makes me mad about politicians. If, if you see this as kids, you know, I would listen to the presidential debates as kids, and I'd be like, oh, that, that sounds great. That sounds great. And my dad would be like, don't listen to them. <laughs> I'd be like, but it sounds so good. Why is it like that? As I get older, I'm like, don't listen to what they're saying. They don't, you know. Uh, because they make empty promises, God doesn't make empty promises. He doesn't make them. He will be faithful to everyone. And that's what's going to help you through the struggles of life. Amen.